it's one of those mornings. I need some coffee, if that's okay. Yesterday, um, Brother Rob and Ken Lacombe and I and John Snow ran a half marathon down in New London, and it was atrocious. When we started, it was 81 degrees with about 90% humidity. It was like breathing peanut butter. It was vile. Um, worst race I've ever had in my life. And then John Snow comes in the top 10, and he was just messing around for the morning. Um, I, ha- I hate that guy. No, he's, he's absolutely phenomenal. So if you do see Brother Rob and Brother Ken, congratulate them. They set new uh, personal records for half marathon. It was their first half marathon, so everything's a personal record. Um, <clears throat> don't tell them I told you that part. Um, but they actually both did really well, especially considering the weather and how hot and humid it was. A uh, lot of work, a lot of work. Uh, Joshua chapter number 14. Joshua 14. I mentioned this when we first started going through this book that about the first half of Joshua is where all the action's at. Okay, so if you were watching this as a movie, the first half of the film would be amazing. Lots of fighting, lots of blood, lots of gore, lots of amazing miracles. You realize, I mean, Jericho, the walls fall outward, and there's all, the sun stands still. There's this, and the second half of this movie, if this, that's what this was, would be so boring because it's all administrative. It would just be Joshua sitting behind a desk writing notes to people. And there's a, there's a thought that you could have while reading through this or studying this that, well, why do I need to go through this? Why, why does it matter to me? It's still the Bible. It's still the Word of God. He chose to give it to us for a reason, so we're going to take the time to go through it. And in the midst of all of this administrative work, if you will, God has this amazing ability to, like, sneak things in. Okay, have you ever read through, like, parts of Leviticus and Numbers where they're going through all the genealogies? Well, snuck right in the middle of that is the prayer of Jabez, which was of some huge popularity about 15 years ago because it's amazing. Enlarge my coast. It's this man, for whatever reason, God decided, Moses, you need to sneak this in there because I want to know if people are paying attention to what I'm writing. And God has a tendency to do that. By the way, I think God knew we would speed read his word at some point. You you do realize he created us. He knows what we're like. So he sneaks these things in here, even though, if you will, this could be boring and administrative. There's these little nuggets in there that if you'll take the time to pay attention, it's like, huh, I didn't think about that. Let's start at verse 1, Joshua chapter 14. And these are the countries which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan. Which, pause right here. These are the countries. This is referring back to chapter 13, which we covered last week. That huge list of uh, countries and tribes and all of the information we broke down last week. Verse 1 of 14, chapter 14 is just referring back to that. That list right there. That's what the children of Israel inherited, which, reading on here, Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, distributed for inheritance to them. So let's pause just a second. Joshua is physically in charge of the nation of Israel, correct? Okay? Moses passed that along through God's direction. Why would Eleazar need to be part of this? Eleazar the priest. Anybody? He's a Levite. He's, the Bible gives him specifics, though. The priest. He's likely the high priest. 
And we'll find out in just a moment in verse 2 why he needed to be part of this. And you realize that the way God wrote the law for these people, Israel was under what would be called a patriarchy. And I understand in today's world, that's a bad word. God designed it that way. So the fathers, the next group, the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, these are the oldest members of each of the tribes. They're there to make sure that all the lots are broken up fairly and specifically and that each tribe is well represented. Think of it this way. Joshua's president, Eleazar is God's ambassador, and the rest of these guys are Congress. Except this Congress was pretty good at what they did. I'll let that sink in for a second. Right. Verse number two. By lot was their inheritance, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and for the half tribe. Right. We've already talked about two and a half tribes had chosen, they had requested of Moses to stay on the one side of Jordan River. Right. We talked about that before, we understand that. So we've got two and a half tribes stuck over here. And this is for the other nine and a half tribes to be broken up. And the reason, personally, I believe that Eleazar, the priest, the Bible gives a specific there, Eleazar, the priest, is here because at the beginning of verse 2, by lot, they were about to cast lots to decide who got what section. So if you think of it, they've got this map, and it's all broken up here, and they're about to literally cast lots and figure out that this group is going to get here, and this group's going to get here, and then another group's going to get down here, and they got to figure out who's going where. Are we okay? So they're going to cast lots. The, the idea of casting lots, sorry about that, shows up in your Bible actually like dozens of times. In the ancient world, the idea of casting lots was there were a whole bunch of variations of this. In the more pagan societies is where you got, um, they would uh, toss like chicken bones and different things like that that actually still exist today, by the way. And uh, practices like voodoo and hoodoo, they actually still do some of that type of stuff. Um, they would read the guts of animals to try to figure out their future. That's a... That's a gnarly way to try to like read your horoscope every morning. You find a deer, gut it, and you're like, I'm supposed to start a business. What? Like, how does that work? But the casting of lots is actually was directed by God. How do we know that? Verse 2, as the Lord commanded. God's directing all of this. But it says, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. That means that these, this casting of lots was supposed to be a fairly specific event, a specific way of getting a direct answer from God. Okay? How many of you have raised or are raising children? Okay, good. That's 99% of us in this room. Kids are terrible. Okay, Be honest with yourself for a split second. There's some great moments, but there's some really bad ones. Anybody ever ask your kid a question and they just stare at you? Anybody ever had your kid ask you the same question 47 times in a row and you've answered all 47 times the same way? But they keep asking, why? Because it's not the answer they want. God didn't want to give, leave these people hanging in any way, shape, or form where, God, what do you think about this? And This gets really awkward after a while, doesn't it? Hey? He, wasn't, he didn't want to leave them hanging, but he also didn't want to leave any room for self-interpretation. Of no private interpretation. Amen. 
So how would they go about that? Let's jump around our Bible just a little bit and take a moment on this idea of casting lots to see how they're going to be dividing this up. I understand we're going on a bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's a pretty valid rabbit trail because if we know the basics of how they pulled this off, it, the rest of the administrative work that they're about to do kind of makes sense. Are we okay? All right, so let's jump in. I want you to go to the book of Luke. We're going to actually go as far away historically as we can in your Bible, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of casting lots and what they might have been used for, and then possibly, possibly attempt to explain how they did this. And I say possibly, and you'll see why in a moment. Luke chapter 1, look at verse 9. According to the custom of the priest's office, his, that's Zacharias, lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So one of the ways that God had instructed going back into Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy where Moses uh, writes the law and then in Deuteronomy basically repeats the law, one of the ways that this idea of casting lots was used was to figure out the priestly duties so that they were on a bit of a rotation. Could you imagine you're assigned, you're a Levite, meaning you don't have a choice in what your future job is. I am a preacher's kid. Can I be very honest with you? My wife knows this sentiment because I've discussed it. I didn't have a choice. I went to Bible college. The choices I had were the two different Bible colleges mom said I could pick from. Why? Because I was going to be in the ministry. Why? Because that's what my dad does. Can I be very blunt? I've never felt a call to the ministry outside of when I was four. I said I wanted to be a missionary. And it had nothing to do with people needing saved. It was, there's kangaroos in Australia. Kangaroos are cool. Plus, they have, like, every venomous snake in the world. I believe that most of the ministry I've done in the last 13, 14 years has been, and to quote the Bible, for such a time as this. I came here right before mom got sick. Mom and dad needed me. I needed to be here. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Is that okay? Are we all right with that? But it's for such a time as this, I'm doing what I do because of who my dad is. Is that valid? Are we all right? If you're a Levite, you don't have a choice. You grow up to be a priest. Could you imagine, though, you're the Levite that's assigned slaughtering animals for the sacrifice, and that's all you do for the next 45 years of your life? You're not a butcher. You just slit their throats, collect blood, and somebody else... How many of you start to resent your job after a little while? So they cast lots to rotate through so that these priests never, if you will, got bored with serving the Lord. Are we okay with that? Hey, Brother Rob and I have this running joke of all, uh, we number all the things that we do around here that we never learned in Bible college. We've tried to fix the hydraulics on doors. We didn't do a good job because they still don't work. Hey, uh, we've had to figure out electrical and plumbing and all kinds of... Because they don't teach you that stuff in Bible college. They don't. But that's what keeps us from getting bored in the ministry. Are we, are we okay? Are we, are we good here so far? So the casting of lots was for these priests to figure out what their job duties would be. And you realize at some point, that casting of lots would apply for one of those priests to step into the high priest position. So it was from the top down. And those could possibly change. We, we following along so far? Go to Acts chapter 1. 
Acts chapter 1, a little bit more of a direct example of what casting lots was used for. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read a few verses here, so bear with me. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 21. Acts 1, verse 21. Verse 21 says, Wherefore of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that it was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Let's pause for just a minute. We talk repeatedly and teach our kids that Jesus had 12 disciples. He did not. He had 12 very specific chosen people that worked directly with him. But if you read through the life of Jesus, he had 500 disciples that were just the 500 that were at his reascension into heaven. He had a lot of people that followed him around. Jesus had a pretty huge entourage. That's why he ended up feeding 5,000 people and 4,000 people. Were some of those people just there to watch miracles? Oh, yeah. But he had multiple disciples, which is where this group is coming from. We need to pick of the people, going back to verse 21, which have companied with us all the time. Of the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, this man that's about to be chosen to be the next disciple, filling in for where uh, Judas Iscariot had fallen, this guy had been there the whole three and a half years. Sometimes we don't think about that for whatever reason, it just doesn't click. But just to keep you in mind here, verse 23, and they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So this idea of casting lots, we can gather from this so far that the information derived from the casting of lots is so specific as to give you very definite answers. Are we good? That's why I'm going through all of this. This wasn't God like giving you some gray area. There was, again, no interpretation. You couldn't just guess that, well, maybe God meant this. No, he didn't. If you pay attention to people like Joel Osteen and some of these other progressive preachers, well, I think God meant no, no. You don't get to decide what you think God meant. God said what he meant. That's part of the reason that this is the King James Bible is the best translation of the Bible. Its language is very definitive. There's no guessing at what God means when you read the Bible. We okay? This casting of lots was a way of getting an answer directly from God. Jump with me. Other examples. Jonah. Jonah was thrown into the water by the casting of lots. Uh, Ezekiel. We do see that Ezekiel's priestly duties were decided by casting of lots. You can see this in Nehemiah, 1 Chronicles, uh, all throughout Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. This, This idea of casting of lots was of great spiritual significance for the Israelites. Okay, This meant something. Because this was a way for them to ask God a question and get a direct answer. Now... Don't think of this as God's version of a magic eight ball. Uh, You remember those from back in the day, shake it up. And there were people that actually like, you can read through stories. There were people that thought they'd have a fun day and whatever they needed to do for the day, they would just ask the magic eight ball and it would answer. Some of those ended up, you should read some of those stories. They ended up really poorly. Should I brush my teeth today? Not a chance. 
It's already starting off rough here, okay? That's not what this was. This was not like they'd shake it up and, oh, God gave them one out of 16 different answers. It was usually yes or no. It was usually very definitive because he didn't want to leave his people hanging. God, by the way, will never leave you hanging. He promised he would answer you. The one thing we don't get in our mind and we don't fathom sometimes is God promised he would answer us. He never said he'd always say yes. And he also never said he'd answer when we think he needs to answer. God's timing is perfect. Go through 2 Peter. You can see God's timing is perfect. His answer may come later than you and I think it should, but it's always the right answer. You realize we've been praying that pastor's heart thing would be going away for almost nine months now. Nobody's taken it seriously until the last two days. He's been in a lot of pain, but God's timing's perfect. Something's going to happen out of that. Don't know what yet. We've got to trust that. If you're with me in uh, Proverbs 16, look at verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. God directed all of these answers. Exodus chapter 28. Here's an idea of how they did it and why, going back to Joshua, Eleazar the priest needed to be there. Exodus 28, look at verse 30. This is God directing Moses to tell the people how to set things up for the priestly office and specifically the priest's clothes. Verse 30, Exodus 28, verse 30, And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart, and when he goeth in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. The Urim and the Thummim. There is not a huge amount of explanation in the Old Testament as to exactly what these were. All we know is they are supposed to be somewhere right around here, right over the high priest's heart. Okay? If you study out Jewish history, okay? it's, by the way, sometimes valid to study Jewish history. Why? The Bible's mostly written about Jewish people. Are we okay there? A lot of Jewish historians believe that that actually, there was a pocket right here on the front of the high priest's robe, and the Urim and the Thummim went inside that pocket. And likely, based on what Urim and Thummim mean, they mean the lights. That these may have been some type of a gemstone, some type of a crystal. There's, a, there's the idea that they would cast these, physically cast them, like you would dice, and one or the other would light up. So you would ask God a question, if you will. Think of it like a true-false question. You give one or the other, and one would light up, or the other would light up. Now, would they physically glow and light up? I do not know. I'm not 4,000 years old. Some of you may look like it, but I'm pretty sure you're not 4,000 years old. Could it have been that they were crystals or gemstones and reflected the light in a way? I don't know. The idea that the, that the name translate as lights gives you the idea that something had to have, light had to have been part of this in some way or another. We, we okay with that? But likely what this was, and that would explain why Eleazar, going back to Joshua chapter 14, why Eleazar is there. He's got the lots in his clothes. He needs to be there. Why? Because he's the person going to cast the lots that's going to get the answer from God. Are we, we good so far? I know I took a big rabbit trail here, but you've got to fig, we got to figure out how they're doing this and why they're doing this. 
in order to jump forward. Now, we don't exactly know what the Urim and the Thummim were. They could have been large. I'm guessing if they're stuck in a pocket somewhere near the front of this guy's robe, they're probably not terribly large or terribly heavy. It's got to be something he can carry around at any given moment. And you realize during this time period, anybody that needed an answer from God, were they able to go to God themselves like you and I do? No, they had to go to the high priest. One of the high priest's main jobs on a daily basis, we understand that the high priest had a huge job once a year to go into the Holy of Holies, but that was one day a year. His day-to-day job was to be a judge of the people. Pull those out and get answers from God. All day, every day. In fact, that Urim and Thummim may have been the most used object in the high priest arsenal. Because that was his job, was to get an answer for the people from God. He was their go-between. Okay, So let's jump back into Joshua chapter number 14, please. From this point on, this particular chapter moves fairly quickly. Joshua chapter 14, look at verse 3. For Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half-tribe on the other side, Jordan. But unto the Levites he gave none inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore, they gave no part unto the Levites in the land, save cities to dwell in, with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. And let me blow your minds for just a moment. We always refer to this as the 12 tribes of Israel. There's 13. Because Joseph wasn't given an inheritance. His two sons were Manasseh and Ephraim, which is directly referred to in the verses prior. And the Levites were never given a direct, if you will, state. They were given the Bible. We just read it. They were given cities to dwell in, suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. They were given areas, but they were scattered throughout the other 12 tribes, the other 12 states. There are technically 13 tribes of Israel. Are we okay? I know. I saw a few people like light bulbs click on and then they clicked back off. And then they like dim. Now they're flickering a little bit. Hey, you might want to check the wiring. I know I just messed with your heads. There's 13 tribes of Israel, but we refer to them always as the 12 tribes of Israel. Because there's, if you will, that would be broken up like the 12 states of Israel. We, we've, we functional after this, okay? I know. I'm sorry. It's a lot of information. And it is only 10.35 in the morning, and I'm apparently the only one who had coffee this morning, okay? We'll be all right. This explains here why you can have two and a half tribes on one side of Jordan and nine and a half tribes on the other side. Because that adds up to, to, to 12. I know, we're mathing early. It's okay, all right? Go to verse 6. This is not a terribly long chapter, and I'm almost done, actually. Uh, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the uh, Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again, and it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt." But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb shows up and he's like, Hey, Joshua, 
Over 40 years ago, you and I did something that no one else is alive to remember. And you are the only person alive that knows the promise that God made me. And what is that promise? It's at the very end of verse 9. Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb is the only individual out of the entirety of the nation of Israel that got to pick his inheritance. The only one. That makes Caleb very unique. But Caleb is also holding on to a promise. Remember I mentioned earlier that sometimes God doesn't answer prayers when we think he should? God promised Caleb at this point somewhere between 45 and 48 years prior of something. And he's finally getting that response. We pray prayers and if God doesn't answer us in 45 to 48 minutes, we're already done trying to figure out how we're going to make it work. Caleb waited 45 plus years. Just let that sink in for a split second. It also gives you an idea of just how faithful of a man Caleb really was. 45 plus years he's been constantly serving, constantly working. By the way, at this point, just like Joshua, constantly fighting. Constantly, constantly fighting. If you want to reference where this is, if I, I like to write notes in my Bible for this particular one. At verse 9, the, the reference back to that promise is from Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, it is actually most of that chapter is where Moses sends the 12 spies in. We know the account there. The 12 spies go in. Ten of them come back and we are grasshoppers in our own sight. There's giants there. We're just, we're going to die if we go in there. And Joshua and Caleb are like, eh, they're big dudes, but I'm pretty sure we can whoop them. By the way, Joshua and Caleb have also at this point won multiple battles. They watched the Egyptians drown in the Red Sea that God did. They had nothing to do with that. And they're like, look, if God did that, those big guys are no problem for us. And because of their faith, God said, all right, you too. You're going to be the only ones left. You're going to be the only ones that actually get to go into the promised land. Everybody else is going to die. It's going to take a while. Caleb, because of your faith, I promise I've got something special for you. So let's keep moving here. And, and Caleb's actually recalling that. And by the way, if you go through and study that out from Numbers and from the book of Deuteronomy where that gets repeated, Caleb is quoting that word for word. Which means that promise that was made to him burned in his brain and he must have repeated that to himself every single day. We pray these prayers and expect God to answer, but we forget, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God may not answer your prayer today. He may not answer it tomorrow. But you can hold on to, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You can hold on to that for today, tomorrow, the next decade, as long as you need to, because he will never leave you nor forsake you. You may not get the answer you want right now, but he's always there. Jo Joshua and Caleb have held on to this now for four and a half or more decades and Caleb's finally seeing the fruition. You realize at this point, Caleb's pushing 90 years old. 90 years old. I was watching a video on YouTube last night of a 90-year-old man that finished an Ironman triathlon last year. Finished. 
that includes, the final portion of that is a 26.2 mile marathon. 90 years old. That, by the way, was his 40th Ironman. The guy's a beast. He's, by the way, built like me. Short people are awesome, okay? We're better than you tall people, all right? This 90, that's where Caleb's at, and he is about to face one of the biggest battles in his entire life. Why? Because he knows God's going to protect him, because God promised him. Let's keep going. We're almost done. This is the end of Caleb's promise here for right now. Verse 10, and now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. As he said, these 40 and 5 years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses. By the way, this idea of Caleb speaking to Joshua here saying, I've been kept alive these extra 45 years. This is how we know how long they've been fighting in, the, in Canaan land. It's been about 5 years. Moses passed off the scene. Joshua's been leading the people now for about five years. Okay, we're getting a direct timeline from one of the people directly involved here. Since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. And let's pause for just a moment. God had to have done something supernatural here because when's the last time you saw an 85-year-old man that's just as strong as a 40-year-old man? And we're not talking like in today's world where it's a 40-year-old man that sits in his basement and plays video games all day and is out of shape and can't do anything. We're talking a man of war because that's literally what he's referencing. We got an 85-year-old man that is claiming he is just as strong and ready for war as he was when he was 40. God did something special for Caleb, okay? Those of you that are a little older than I am, I'm 37, okay? Not far removed from where Caleb was when God made that promise at 40. Those of you that are <clears throat> slightly aged, I'm, I'm pretty sure, without maybe a few exceptions, I might be... A little stronger than you and I'm not the strongest person in this room or in the world but as we get older strength tends to wane energy tends to dip it just it's human nature so God did something special for Caleb here so kind of keep that in the back of your mind verse 12 now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced okay let's pause when you're going into battle of any kind, you always want the high ground, right? Caleb wants to take on a mountain where every city has the high ground. This is an 85-year-old dude that wants to take the hardest section left unconquered. Why? We also know that it's where the Anakims were. Read through the Old Testament. The Anakims were where the giants lived. That group that everybody said was too scary to go in and take out 45 years prior, he wants those guys. This is a boss old man. Can I, can I, I that's a weird slang term, but it's so true here. We've got this 85-year-old guy, and he's like, all right, I could, you realize God had promised him he, anything. If you go back, it's wherever his feet trod. He could have almost anything in the land. And he wants the hardest section left to conquer. But think about it this way. He's guaranteeing future generations 
the high ground. He's willing to put the extra work and extra effort in to win the high ground now so that his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids are always safe. Are you and I willing to win the high ground on our own lives right now to protect future generations? So that's what Caleb did. By the way, some of Caleb's future generations saved the children of Israel. Read the book of Judges. One of his descendants is the reason Israel was saved from judgment, became one of the first judges. That concept held. We need to be willing to fight those fights now so that future generations don't have to. Can I be honest, where we're at in the world today, there was a generation that chose not to fight against a few things and look at where we're at right now. And by the way, we're losing the fight in some instances. We're losing the fight, by the way, to an even smaller minority than ourselves. Why? Because a previous generation chose not to fight. I, for one, don't want to be that. I got four little girls. I don't want them growing up in a world that's any worse than it is today. So we have to fight.